right, so uh, glad to see you this morning. I'm so thankful for the God we serve, that he is a, a God of love, but he loves us too much to leave us as we are, and he works in our hearts to change us. Um, and just, I never, as Chase said, I never want us to rush through worship, but to be able to have the time and take the time to sit in his presence, to hear what he's saying to us, and to be obedient to that. Um, y'all know how on those commercials, how it'll show the commercial like the medicine commercials, and then it gets to the end, and that guy talks really, really fast just to get all that legal stuff in, and you, know, you can't all even understand. What that. That's probably how I'm going to have to talk this morning. So you're going to have to listen fast, right? Um, but we are actually going to wrap up this series on judges, this uh, uh, horror and hope of humanity. Um, we haven't covered all the judges. Look, it, we could spend the next two years on the book of Judges. There's so much in it. Um, but uh, it's been a challenging and encouraging series for me. And we're going to wrap this up today. In fact, if you want to go first, though, to the book of Joshua, right there, right in front of Judges, the book of Joshua. Let's go to Joshua chapter 6. This is something that grabbed my heart a couple of weeks ago, um, actually in the book of Judges. But I want to tie it back to Joshua chapter 6. Um, in, in Joshua chapter 6, what we see is where God gives the Israelites, these people he has chosen, he's bringing them now, he's brought them out of Egypt, he's bringing them now finally under the leadership of Joshua into Canaan or the promised land. And they have crossed the Jordan River. Uh, miraculously, God uh, stops the water. It says the water quit flowing from the north, and then they, part, they walked across on dry ground. Um, but now they celebrate that. They turn around and look in Jericho, um, this very... Um, formidable, formidable uh, city. It, it's, it's, it's got um, just uh, tall walls. It's, it's really um, fortified, I think is what I would have meant to say. And it, you look at it and they're, they're celebrating this victory of getting across the Jordan, but now they turn around and they're facing Jericho. And God gives them this miraculous victory. And, and what happens in chapter 6 is God tells them that um, every day they're to get up and march around the city um, one time for six days. On the seventh day, they're supposed to get up and march around the city seven times and uh, they're to blow the trumpets. And when they blow the trumpets and uh, Joshua gives the command, they're supposed to then shout and God says he'll give them the victory. So I want us to read in Joshua chapter 6, verse 20, just a couple of verses here. It says then, When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men and women and young and old and cattle, sheep and donkeys. Now flip over to Judges, uh, one to the right, one book to the right, Judges chapter 3. We looked at Ehud last week, but there's something here in the first couple of verses that I really want us to look at. It says in verse 12 of Judges 3, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And because they did this evil, the Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel, getting the Ammonites and Amalekites to join him. Eglon 
came and attacked Israel, and they took possession of the city of Palms. The Israelites were subject to King to Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. Now, in this, it says that they took possession of the city of Palms. But the city of Palms in this is Jericho. Now, what do we just read happened? God gave them a miraculous victory over Jericho. They took the city of Jericho. But then they come years and years later, and what we see is that the ground they had taken was given back to the enemy. Now, here's the thing that I would ask you and, and, and challenge you with. How many of you have seen in your own life and in the life of other people that spiritually you will take ground, but then in a matter of time, you end up giving that ground back to the enemy? Has anybody ever seen that in your life? For example, um, maybe for you, there was some struggle you were having. And I know, uh, have a good friend of mine who had been addicted to drugs for years. He met um, God in a powerful way and in his driveway, he gave that over to the Lord. Here's the challenge of that though. The challenge for many people is that after that moment with God, when he delivers us from something, whether it's salvation, whether it's an addiction, it might be deliverance from just anger or bitterness that you've carried around. It might be um, anything like that. When, whenever God gives us this deliverance, this miracle, it's, it's so easy for us to give that back. And I think part of that is because of how we've been taught in the church We've been taught to come to God, to cry out to God for that momentary healing, that momentary deliverance, but we haven't been taught to live that out. We, we don't do a very good job of walking that out later, and there's a danger in that. There's a danger that we go back and we give up ground that has been taken, and just like we see here. It can happen with the church. The church can take ground, but we get our eyes off of God corporately together as the body, and we give back that ground. And it's something that happens. This, this reality, and this is what I want you to see today, the first part of what I want you to see, is that there are two battles. We oftentimes only recognize the first one. The first battle is to take the ground. The first battle is to get free. The first battle is to be saved. The first battle is to be clothed in Jesus' righteousness. But the second battle is after you take the ground, you're to occupy and transform the ground. That was the purpose of Israel going into Canaan. They were to occupy it. They were to transform it. It was to be a place that brought God glory. The first battle is to get free, but the second battle then is to stay free. The first battle is to be saved. The second battle is to grow in that salvation. The first battle is to be clothed in righteousness. The second battle is to grow into that righteousness that you've been clothed in. And so many times we focus on the first and we neglect the second. And it ends up even becoming something that can seem to invalidate the first experience, the miracle that God did. And then even after this, there's another battle, a third battle to be fought. But we need to understand these first two, and I'll get to the third one at the very end. 
But we've all seen this. I remember when I was, um, when I was first saved, and I remember that night I was talking to people, and I was saying, man, I'm different. I'll never be the same again. I know I'll never be the same again. And they were all like, I will give you four months, six months. You'll be right back to who you always have been. And here's the reality in that is in a way they were right, but God had taken my heart in such a way that I knew I never wanted to go back there. And so I experienced this miracle of salvation. The walls around my heart fell down and God did something in my heart that would leave me different forever. But I never would have been able to walk that out if God had not put godly men in my life to walk with me. And this is what we miss most of the time in the second battle. When we look at the first battle and God moves in our hearts in this miraculous way, we oftentimes neglect the reality that the way God is going to help us stay free to continue to grow in his likeness is by putting people in our lives to walk alongside us because we can't do it by ourselves. We were never intended to do this by ourselves to win the second battle alone. See, the first battle happens in a moment. The second battle happens from that moment of salvation, deliverance, whatever you want to call it, to, to, through the rest of our life. And we're not called to have this experience with God and then be some kind of lone ranger going through the rest of our life. It's not how it works. We weren't created for that. We're not called to live in isolation. Isolation is the place where the devil gets a hold of you. It's, it's, it's not the place that God wants us to live. He wants us to live in community. He wants us to be surrounded by people who are helping us fight that second battle. We look at another example of this in the Gospel of John, over in John chapter 11. We see this story of Lazarus. And in John chapter 11, looking at verses 43 and 44, it says this, as Jesus had gone to Mary and Martha and they were his friends, Lazarus, his friends, and they're, they're crying because Lazarus is dead. Jesus goes to the tomb and he says this, it says, when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now listen, this is pretty cool to me to see this. Jesus does a miracle. He calls Lazarus to life. Lazarus comes to life just like us at salvation. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. And yet God calls us to life through the gospel message. He puts his spirit in us and we go from spiritual death to spiritual life in a moment. But then Lazarus is wrapped in these grave clothes. If you go and read about how they did this, it was literally a, a, a cloth that was about twice as long as the body. And they would wrap that thing over them and it would be wrapped around their feet. And then they would wrap like strips around their arms. And so it's almost like they are just cocooned in this wrapping, this, these grave clothes. And so when Jesus calls Lazarus out, the best he could have done is either hop or like, just kind of waddled out there. And so he comes out of the tomb and Jesus looks and he says, listen, I need you to go and take those grave clothes off of him. See, it's one thing for us to be set free 
to come alive in Christ. Jesus set him free from death, but Jesus used others to help him walk in that freedom. That's what God calls us to do as the body. When God does this work in our life, he calls us. He calls us then to be gathered with other believers who we're walking with as he continues to do this work in us. We look at this scriptures like Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 where he tells us not to forsake the gathering together of the brethren. And he says to continue to encourage each other, to spur one another on to love and to good works. He tells us in 1 Corinthians 12 that each of us have been given a spiritual gift, a gift that the Spirit has given us that should manifest itself in the body, in the church, for the good of all. He tells us in 1 Corinthians 14 that the worship service, the gathering together of the brethren that Hebrews 10 talks about should be a time when we come together and it should be in order and done in a way that everyone is built up. The point is we can't do this on our own. We are called to walk this out with each other. We're called to come to Christ and through this first battle, he sets us free or he saves us or he delivers us. But the second battle is then walked out with other believers. The church, the last couple of decades, I would say, has been really big on this. You've heard us talk about this a lot through the years, that you need to be in community. We're not meant to do life alone. Anybody ever seen that, heard that here, or a t-shirt with it on there? You're not meant to do life alone. And we've talked about this, and churches have talked about this for a couple of decades. And I feel like the Lord was really showing us that, and 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 pressing that into our hearts because it's true but I believe the Lord is moving us and moving the church into a, a deeper season to really begin to walk out what he created us for to walk out what we've been set free to do and that is to make disciples see there's a danger even in winning those two battles there's a danger in my salvation then coming into community and then I'm growing even into the likeness of Jesus. That sounds crazy, but there is a danger in this. I want to try to draw this. I don't know. I hope this doesn't end up being a train wreck. But I want to show you, like, here's you, right? Let's, let's draw you here. Have to look at the cameras probably. Can y'all see that? See it on the camera? See it? All right. So here's you. All right. Here's God. God does this incredible work in my life, right? He works in my life in a powerful way. He changes my life. And, and I become um, a new creation. And we hear so many messages about how we have become a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. We're no longer in condemnation because those who are in Christ Jesus, are, have, the condemnation has been taken away, right? 
And so we hear these messages. We hear messages about how we're uniquely created. We hear messages that tell us, you know, you're like a fingerprint. There's no other one like you. you, you you're told in church to have a personal relationship with God. We're told to have our quiet time. I need my quiet time with the Lord. We're, we're told, um, you know, that... that uh, we have a spiritual gift. We go to classes. We've offered classes for people to come and learn what their spiritual gift is. And we get excited because God gave me a gift, right? It's exciting. But there's a lot of I in that, right? There's a lot of I in that. And even when we come to this second battle and, and we begin to be surrounded by other believers And God puts other believers around us. And they're there so we can grow, so I can share my burden, so we can lean on each other. And, and that my life is better because I'm doing it in community. And here's the thing, though, that, that we need to recognize. If I look at my life in this way, who's in the center? Me. And, and here's the challenge that I want you to understand. All of those things I just told you, this is not sin, right? The, the, the personal relationship, the time with God, the, 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 the community, all of those are essential. Winning the first battle, essential. Winning the second battle, essential. But here's where we've messed up as the church. We've made that be the end. That has become the end. And this is not wrong, but it is incomplete. It's not wrong, but it is very incomplete. Because what we need to see is that the circle is a lot bigger. The circle is a lot bigger, and my circle is not perfect, but who's at the center supposed to be? God. And what we begin to see is that this is a much bigger purpose. There's all these people, right? In fact, what we realize is that this really doesn't exist because we are a part of the whole, and this is all about God. But sometimes we fall short in this, not because the things we have been taught and the things we have done are wrong, but because it is incomplete. It is incomplete. The first two battles, they set us up to complete the mission. We're saved. We're put in a body with other people. We grow in Christ's likeness and his righteousness. We walk with him. But that's not the mission. The mission is to go into the world and make disciples of all nations. Listen, in Genesis 1, 26 through 28, God gives his first command to human beings. And he says, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. In other words, I want you to fill the earth 
with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. I want you to fill the earth with my image. And he tells them that very clearly. And he plants mankind in this small part of the earth, and he says, now go fill it. Then we get to Genesis 3, and sin happens. And in that sin, we forfeited two things that left us, the, left us unable to complete the mission that God gave us. In Genesis 3, we forfeit, and because of sin, mankind forfeited the image of God. Now it is marred. And we forfeited the authority God had given us because of sin. And from Genesis 3 all the way through until Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, God was working out a plan to give us back both of those things through our relationship with him. And Jesus came, he took our sin upon himself, he took the punishment for that sin, our sin was nailed to the cross by faith, now we are made righteous, Jesus went into a tomb, he came out alive three days later, um, by faith in him now we go from death to life, Jesus had promised that when he went back to his father he would send his spirit, that happened in Acts chapter 2, and now he sends his spirit to live in us, to give us life, to empower us for the mission. Here's the thing, that plan of reconciliation was worked out so that God's original command, the first command that God gave mankind became the last command that Jesus gave us before he ascended when he said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And it's not coincidence that God's first command was Jesus' last command on earth because Jesus had given us back what we had forfeited through sin. And now he has set us free through salvation. He has strengthened and equipped us through each other so that we can actually go into all the world and do the things we were created to do. Here's my question. Why in the world then, if it is this clear, it is this spelled out, why in the world has the church not been doing this? Is it any wonder that at least in our nation, in our country, that the church is losing ground? See, we look at those Israelites and we're like, man, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. That's why they lost that land. You ever thought the reason we might be losing our land is because we've done evil in the eyes of the Lord? Because we've neglected his first command and Jesus' last command. And we've said, you know what? I'm just going to stay in this little holy huddle because I'm comfortable here. And this is what makes me feel better. So we give God false, fake worship that makes me feel good while neglecting the most crucial part of the mission. That this relationship we have with God and this ability to walk with each other, to be equipped and strengthened, isn't the end. This is just sort of the right to play. And yet, we wrestle and fight with people just to get in community. And that's just a little picture of the whole. I will tell you this as lovingly, as bluntly as I can possibly tell you. If you are not being discipled, if someone is not pouring into your life to help you grow in Christ and to help you be equipped, if you are not discipling someone else, in other words, you're taking what's been poured into you and pouring it into someone else, 
If we are not doing that, then we are not making disciples and we have outright basically given God the middle finger and said, I'm just going to do what's comfortable for me. I'm not going to do what you've told me to do. It is disobedience. It is evil in the eyes of the Lord. And it is no wonder that we are giving back what God gave us. No wonder we're losing ground. And we make so many excuses, y'all. Well, I just don't feel like I know enough. But you can't say that for 40 years, right? I just don't feel like I know enough. Then do something about it. If you're compelled by the love of Christ, do something. Go, go get in a connect group. Go, go to uh, one of the growth challenges. Look, I would encourage you with this. Go to heart and soul. If you want to be equipped, go to heart and soul and I'll point you to that one place because it is the best place for us to get to know you and how to best walk with you so you can be equipped. This is not about us gaining a member. It is about us as the body completing a mission. That's what this is about. You know, we, we went through 2020. Attendance fell way off. I remember in here preaching messages and there was five people in here like while we were closed up or whatever. Open back up, people start drifting back in. About two months ago, we actually hit our pre-COVID numbers. We finally got back to those pre-COVID numbers and the church is growing. But here's the challenge that I have in that. What good is it to have a room full of people if the mission is just being ignored? And here's the reality. So many of us will walk out of here today and it won't matter. We'll do zero about it. Our hearts will still not be compelled to go into the world and make one disciple. To lead one person to Christ. To pour into their life. To be poured into That's messed up. If we're able to do that, then I would challenge us with this this morning. If we are able to ignore that, I would challenge us to look at our heart. If there is nothing in our heart that burns a little bit to think about the earth being filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, then something's wrong. Then something's wrong. My desire for us is for us to do our part in the mission. See, Christianity, and I want you to hear this, and this is where I'm going to end. Christianity is not a religion of rules to be obeyed that are motivated by the fear of a tyrannical king. Christianity is a kingdom of people empowered by the Holy Spirit and compelled by the grace and love of the king. Christianity is a kingdom intended to grow. It is intended to take ground, to occupy ground, and transform that ground. 
the Israelites going into Canaan is this physical picture of our spiritual reality that we are called to go take ground one disciple at a time, one person at a time. And maybe right now that seems so far-fetched for you. But let's do something about it. Let's not be a church that makes excuses. Excuses are probably the greatest enemy of success. I told my son that the other day about baseball. He finally, something clicked with him. He said, you know, Dad, I'm not going to get mad anymore if the umpire calls me out on a third strike and I know it wasn't a strike. I said, really? I said, why not? He said, I had two other ones to hit. I'm like, I've been telling you that for like, how old are you, 12, for 11 years. But here's the thing, guys, like, excuses, man, are such an enemy of success in the mission. We need to get rid of those excuses. In fact, right now, look, at 11 o'clock, heart and soul will happen. We got 40 people signed up to go in there today. That's incredible, ain't it, Andrew? It's incredible. God, it gives, it gives, me, it gives me Jesus bumps. I'm just kidding. I don't call them that, really. But, but it is incredible. You can walk in there. You don't have to sign up. Walk in there at 11. Let us partner with you to equip you for the work of ministry. But don't make excuses. You're called to something bigger. We have made this so small, y'all. We've made it so small. We're trapped in this little mindset. We're trapped in our own understanding and what we've seen and what we've known. We're trapped in this earthly way of looking at things. It's like we're trapped behind this foggy window that has marred our vision of what reality is and what really can be. Let's don't leave it small. Let's see the big picture. Because Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, he says, all authority has been given to me. Now go. He's given you back the image of Christ, or the image of God. He's clothed you in his righteousness. He's given us back the authority to go and accomplish our purposes. Let's don't waste that. Amen. Amen. Father, I thank you this morning for how you've been with us, God. You're so faithful. Even when we're unfaithful, your word says that you're faithful. You don't even know how to not be faithful. I thank you that, God, the truth is, is powerful. And I pray, Lord, I thank you for the conviction of the spirit that comes through it. I, I pray, Lord, that we would take this seriously. That you would move in our hearts. Move us, Lord, to accomplish your purposes. Bind us together. Make us truly heart and soul on a mission to take ground for your kingdom, to fill the earth with the love and the power and the grace of who you are. We love you, Father, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.